Today's episode is sponsored by Expectful, a guided meditation and mindfulness app for your fertility, pregnancy, and motherhood journey. It's easy and fun to use as well as affordable. And did you know that science shows meditation can reduce anxiety and improve your relationships? Head to expectful.com slash motherbirth for an exclusive one month free trial just for motherbirth listeners. Something that really helped me, especially just with the wording, was switching out the word but for and. So it was instead of you had a really traumatic birth, but you have a really healthy baby. It was you had a really traumatic birth and you have a really healthy baby in it. Just that simple switch made me feel like those two things could actually coexist. Welcome to Mother Birth. We help women awaken the confidence that is already within. This is a space for vivid, inspiring birth stories, meaningful advice from guest experts, and honest exploration of what it means to become a mother. Welcome to Mother Birth today, everyone. I am, this is Melissa, and I am here by myself today. I am talking with Marlena Erler, who is a naturopathic doctor down in San Diego, California, and she has got some really really interesting perspectives on the motherhood journey and supporting women through through wellness and through mindfulness and intention. And we've been trying to have her on the show for a while, actually, as you guys are probably getting used to hearing me say that because it feels like so many of our good conversations come from this, uh, you know, ongoing attempt to to get people on the show. And so we're really grateful to have Marlena here with us today after um, after several months of going back and forth. So Marlena, will you introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit about you and then we'll go from there. Absolutely. Um, my name is Dr. Erler and I'm, I'm a naturopathic doctor here in San Diego, California. Um, I'm the founder of motherhood medicine, which is a, a private practice here. Um, that actually started, uh, as a place for women preconception through postpartum, but then has, has now morphed into basically just serving women in general, just doing women's mm-hmm. health. And, uh, and I didn't think that that was going to happen, but it did. <laughs> and it's, it's actually incredibly rewarding to kind of see the full spectrum of, of women and not just, uh, be so hyper-focused in this one time period, because, what actually happens in that time period affects your entire life. And it's actually really cool to see that. Sorry, that yeah. was a bit of a tangent, but. <laughs> no, well, I love that because it's also true that the things that happen leading up to that time affect that time and Absolutely. therefore the rest of your life. So so really focusing on on only, you know, the motherhood transition period. Well, certainly there are many people that do that and, and there's nothing wrong with doing that. I think it's it's lovely to support women as a whole. And I know that that's a big part of Laura's passion as well in, in working in women's health is, mm-hmm. is recognizing that, that those, you know, broader seasons are, are so important. Yes. And, and you, and you miss a lot of the picture, uh, if you, if you're not involved in those seasons or, or that you don't, you know, really ask about those or, or even be able to see the progress. Like I've had, I mean, my practice is relatively new, but I have had, um, the, the gift of being able to see someone, you know, preconception through postpartum into like early motherhood. And, and mm-hmm. it's really, really cool to, to see that full, you know, the full transformation of when they come in saying, Hey, I want to get pregnant. And then that whole journey that happens afterwards, really amazing. Yeah. What drew you to alternative medicine in the first place? 
Yeah, so I I actually knew that I wanted to be a doctor from birth, <laughs> it, which is interesting because I uh, both of my parents are artists and and a lot of my family are artists. There's not really many um, scientists or there's no doctors in my family. Um, so I was kind of on the, the regular medical school track uh, from the very beginning. And when I graduated or when I was graduating from college, um, we actually had a really good friend who was a college counselor. And she said, uh, you know, because my plan was, I'm, I'm from New York City, and my plan was to go to Columbia because they had a really good uh, complementary and alternative medicine program there. Mm-hmm. I'd never heard of naturopathic medicine, but she had our, our family friend, and she says, you have to go check this out. This is actually exactly what you want to do. And two mm-hmm. weeks before applications closed, I applied kind of blindly and got in, and then that was my path. But kind of the, the backstory was I was raised by um, – parents that they weren't like super crunchy, but they were more crunchy than your average parent. And, and so there was always this, um, that really what it was, was there's this emphasis on, uh, really getting to know yourself and your body and being in, mm. in relationship with nature. And it's interesting because I grew up in New York city. So it was, you know, it was kind of hyper emphasized because we didn't really have a lot of exposure to nature. Mm-hmm. And, um, we had some illnesses in the family. My mom had uh, cancer twice and and used uh, holistic practices to heal herself. And also my godfather uh, also had cancer and a bunch of other uh, family members and friends that just kind of sought an alternative route. Um, and so I just, you know, had that kind of exposure of, you know, it was just kind of like a, a mindset also just that was, that made sense to me. And so when I yeah. found naturopathic medicine, I was like, oh, okay, this is, exactly what I was looking for, you know. Mm-hmm. What were the healthcare experiences that you had growing up? Uh, I am type one diabetic. And, ah. um, and so from a very, you know, I was diagnosed at age nine. And so from, from childhood, really, I, I started to learn how food and mental, emotional health and exercise impacted my blood sugars, which really was impacting my entire body, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and being able to see the relationship between like, if I'm feeling stressed about a test, my blood sugar goes up. Whoa. I wonder what else is going on in my body when that happens. And, and, uh, you know, if I don't, if I don't eat, you know, really well, or I don't figure out what foods that my body does good with and and doesn't do so great with how that impacts Mm -hmm. me. And so I was able to see this kind of intricate dynamic, of how, you know, your diet and lifestyle and, and choices really impact you. And then that was kind of, con- you know, uh, cemented by, you know, some more extreme circumstances, like my mom being diagnosed with colon cancer at an extremely young age, which was, you know, unheard mm-hmm. of. And then um, choosing not to do uh, chemo or radiation and, and to, to heal naturally. And, and she, she did it. <laughs> so I was like, well, there's something to this, you know? So... Yeah, um, an experience like that, observing observing that kind of a healing cycle in someone so close to you is mm-hmm. a really impactful experience. Absolutely. Yeah, it just kind of it what it did for me was it opened the door to accepting that there are other ways to do things and that they can work also and they might not work for everyone like that didn't work for my godfather. Mm-hmm. Um but it was just, it was almost like, you know, questioning society and, and being like, you know, let's go back to the root. What's really going on here? And, and the reason why my mom got colon cancer, we believe is actually a a lot of it was rooted in her diet and lifestyle. So for her that, that worked. 
Right. Yeah. If those are, if those are really big factors Mm -hmm. in the onset of something, then that is a little more likely to have an impact as well in the healing process. Yes. So, so you get into Columbia, you're kind of like, what happened then? Or were you a little bit, um, shell shocked? Was it kind of a, a whole new world that felt un, you know un, uncomfortable or unfamiliar to you or did you feel right at home well actually so columbia columbia is a is a traditional conventional medical school in okay, in new york that's and that's the one that i uh, that i i was going to go there right. um but then actually pulled my pulled my seat applied to bastier university mm. um and they at the time were opening um uh, a kind of like an honors inaugural program down in San Diego. They didn't even have a campus down here yet. And they're like, do you want to be part of it? And I said, sure. Cause I was, I actually went to college up in, uh, Washington state and I was kind of ready to get into the sunshine. Yeah. And, uh, I so I came you. down, <laughs> yeah, I came down and, uh, and felt right at home. I mean, it was just, um, it was exactly what I wanted to be doing. And it was really hard. I mean, it's medical school. It's, it's no, it's no joke, but San Diego was a nice place to go to medical school. I mean, if you're going to like have your heads in the books, it's nice to do it at the beach. Yeah, for sure. So how many years was this whole schooling journey for you? Yeah, so it was just the medical school chunk was four years. Um, And and it was – it went by fast and slow at the same time. And I actually had um, my son – a couple of months before I graduated from medical school, which was a whole whirlwind of itself, but actually yeah. worked out really well, surprisingly. Yeah, that was going to be my next question was, <laughs> since I know you're a mother, when did these two paths intersect? You know, when did, when did you become a mother? So let's kind of, let's go into that. And I'm curious too, how this journey and, and this kind of maybe not unexpected, but, you know, a new turn in the path for you of becoming a naturopathic doctor. How did the perspectives that you were forming in that world affect your decision to become a mother? You know, the, the choices you made, um, the actual experience of becoming a mother, what was, what was the correlation there? Absolutely. So I, um, given the fact that I have type one diabetes, I was always advised that I should try to, um, have a baby a little bit younger than like your average person. Now they, they told me, you know, uh, especially if I wanted to have more than one child to to try to have my first child before age 25. Mm. Um, and so I, uh, got engaged to my now husband and we, um, started doing a lot of, I started doing a lot of preconception work, mostly because, you know, a lot of preconception work is just basically stimulating your vitality and just getting your body in, in tip top shape. And, um, and I got pregnant and it wasn't, it wasn't planned. (laughs) Mm. And, um, I was 24 and, um, and it was really interesting being pregnant while in naturopathic medical school and, and going through that whole process because I was, in this really interesting position where I felt like I knew more than, so because I, because I was considered a high-risk pregnancy, I wasn't able to um, be under the care of a midwife. I had to go to um, a high-risk perinatologist and OBGYN. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really, really hard for me because especially being in naturopathic medical school, I, you know, knew the importance of, of, you know, 
the whole the whole slew of things that that you kind of are are kind of more um that are harder to advocate for yourself under the yes. care of like a, of a traditional OBGYN especially a perinatologist where they kind of a lot of times especially the one that I worked with was like everything was worst case scenario you know right and you're just um, under you're under a microscope the entire time oh yeah it's 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 a really intense process and we i mean we fought about practically everything i don't think mm-hmm. there was one appointment where we weren't arguing about something and it wasn't that i was being uh neurotic it was it was just you know like the first appointment that i had they made me see um a dietitian and nutritionist and so i sat with them and they gave me some handouts on um what i should be eating and they actually criticized what i was eating i was eating you know, uh, eggs and, and sauteed vegetables for breakfast. And they told me that I should instead be eating, um, fortified breakfast cereal and skim milk. And I was like, well, if I eat that, then my blood sugar goes crazy. I have to take more insulin. And they're like, yeah, but you're not eating it. So it was this whole, it was this whole thing. Um, and so I was really actually super grateful for my, my education through naturopathic medicine and also being so far along in my program when I was right before graduation, because I, I felt like I actually really had a grasp on my individual health reality versus statistical health reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like you so, also from a young age were, were really connected to, to what your body was telling you. And so yes. and coupling that with the, the knowledge and the information that you're learning in medical school, you were just really, really intuitive about the process. I I was, and I felt really well informed. I felt like I really had a good idea um, about what was right for my body and for my baby, and and that was that was a really hard place to be in, where you you feel so empowered and so um, well well informed, and then you have someone telling you, no, you're doing it all wrong. So that was that was extremely difficult. Um, yeah. How did you then, feel during your pregnancy? <laughs> well, I felt. Um, you know, my, my birth plan was actually technically illegal. I I actually sought, um, I, I went and saw an OBGYN because I needed to have, you know, someone to do like an ultrasound and, and kind of track my pregnancy for health uh, insurance purposes. But I actually intended on having a, um, unassisted childbirth at home. And that was because I could not have a midwife and I wanted a midwife and I wanted to do it at home. I felt like I, um, I, although I am considered, you know, type one diabetic, my labs were so well managed and under control that I actually had like the hemoglobin A1C of someone that is not diabetic. And so Mm -hmm. all of the kind of, um, health concerns and risks that one would apply to a type one diabetic, I didn't really meet the criteria for. So I felt like it was very unjust. So I actually would go and say, you know, yes, I, yep. When I come to the hospital, X, Y, and Z, this is what I'm going to do. Sure, 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 sure. But the whole time we were like ordering supplies on Amazon to like do, do this home birth. And were there no wives in the area who were willing to, to attend an out of hospital birth with you under those circumstances? Nope. No one, because, um, in I don't know if it's different in other states, but in California, um, they are the scope of practice doesn't allow them to see type one diabetics, mm-hmm. and so everyone said, you know, no, my malpractice insurance won't yeah. cover this. And I and I was even you know asking some midwives like, hey, you don't have to like even like I'd be willing to do some kind of like contract with you, or like if if mm-hmm. things went things went south, like I wouldn't hold you. I would like sign something. You know, I just I. 
I felt like I was so um, capable and and low risk that I was like, why am I being boxed into this high risk category when I'm not actually high risk? Hmm. Um, so there was no consideration for me as an individual. It was just, you know, boom, you have this diagnosis and X, Y, and Z. And that's actually informed the way that I practice medicine a lot. Um, but anyway, so naturopathic medicine really supported and informed my entire pregnancy, um, my, my birth and my entire postpartum period. And, and mm. also the way that, you know, we're raising our son. Now my husband is also a naturopathic doctor. So it was pretty smooth as far as like agreeing on things. Right. And <laughs> there's not, um, a, I mean, that's one yeah. of the biggest challenges for people, especially if they, especially if they want to make any kind of, you know, quote unquote, alternative choices around, around birth yes. and motherhood, you know, those conversations with partners and with, you know, in-laws and all of that can be, can be one of the most challenging things about it. And so yeah. to have that, that common, that common language and those common values, um, is, is really powerful. So, so tell us about your birth. I, I'm now I'm so curious. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, I was super naive. And, and, um, and, you know, people always tell you, you know, the way that you think your birth is going to go, usually it goes the complete opposite. Yeah. Um, And mine couldn't have been more opposite. So, like I said before, I planned on having an unassisted childbirth at home, literally just with my husband and uh, my, my mom, Mm -hmm. and ended up having a C-section under general under general anesthesia. So what's called an absent birth, um, where I was totally knocked out. And the, the, what happened was, um, I was in labor for, uh, my labor started off really slow. It was a very drawn out process. And I think, um, I was like 24 to 48 hours into it. And we called, um, a friend of ours who was a midwife, but that didn't agreed to see me. She was just like a, a family friend that didn't live in, in California. We even, we tried to like bribe her. We were like, we'll fly you out to come <laughs> deliver this baby, but she couldn't. Um, and so we called her and, and, uh, you know, we're like, what should we do? And, and she said, um, she recommended, uh, that we go to the hospital just to get checked and then leave. Mm-hmm. And, um, we had, you know, a stethoscope or, a, um, uh, a, um, oh my God, why am I the blanking on the name of it? We, yeah, well, yeah, we had a, um, we had a fetoscope. We had, um, a, a Doppler. Uh, yeah. What am I blanking on? The thing that you put in the, <laughs> like totally blanking. Yeah. The, the, the internal the, monitor. The yeah. Yeah. Well, we, yeah, we had to, you know, to check my, my dilation or whatever. And, you know, my husband oh, did it and, right. and he, and it was funny because he said to me, you seem really, you seem, I mean, he had never done that before in his life, but he said, you said you seem really dilated. And I was actually showing a lot of of signs of transition. Um, but there was, there was some concern because I was, I was in labor for pretty long. I think my labor started on a Wednesday and my son was actually born on a Sunday. Mm. So all in all, it was, it was an extremely long process, but it's like when you're in, in labor land yourself, you can't really, it's hard to fully understand what's going on. And then when you're in the room with two other people that are like totally freaked out as well, it was just, we were just super unprepared. Um, I put way too much pressure on my husband to be like, you need to check me and birth me. You know, it was just, it was not, um, it was not what, what we were capable of. Um, but it was kind of, that decision was made out of like a dire 
need because no one else would help us. Yeah. Besides, you know, my only other option was to be birthed in a high risk ward where before I even, I mean, the second I told them, the second I went there for care and, you know, Hey, I'm pregnant. They said, okay, we got to schedule your C-section. And that was not, you know, it was the whole, the whole, um, time I was under their care was C-section, C-section, C-section. So I was terrified. It was absolutely terrified. Um, and so we ended up going to the hospital and I remember, um, (laughs) driving to the hospital, thinking to myself, I'd remembered listening to, um, something from Ina May where she said, you know, the cervix is, you know, very similar to the rectum and that, you know, when you're trying to take a poop and like a bunch of people are watching you, like that poop's not going to come out, you know, and, um, and that your cervix can close up. And I remember, you know, driving there and seeing the emergency signs all lit up and literally feeling my cervix just tightening and closing, like doing the opposite. Mm. And, um, we checked in to, uh, the hospital. They said I was five centimeters dilated, which is like, totally nuts but makes sense right because I was probably a lot more and then and then closed up and one thing led to another um they were really uh pushy and horrible I had two failed epidurals so my my left leg was completely numb but everything else was uh was not not uh, medicated (laughs) yeah not definitely not numb just my left leg so then it was really hard because I couldn't move um and then, you know, but I was still pushing. I actually could see my son's head. I could, I could touch his head. And then I was just taking too long. I just was, I was a very slow birther. Mm-hmm. And um, they diagnosed me with something that I did not meet any of the criteria for. They di- diagnosed me with chorioamnitis, which is an, you know, an infection. And the diagnostic criteria for that are you have to have an increased temperature. You know, there has to be signs of fetal distress, you know, high blood pressure, all of these things. Mm-hmm. And, um, I didn't have any of those things, and my husband totally lost it. Um, and, and your husband is was knowledgeable about, you know, not necessarily yeah. birth, but about these these things. Yeah, absolutely. And and um, and you know, and he's great at asking questions too. He said, okay, you know, what's the diagnostic criteria for this? And like nobody would tell him. And he's like, well, why? And so he like pulled out his phone, was googling it, and he, no, she doesn't meet any criteria for this X, Y, and Z. So eventually, we got. They were like, you know, your baby is is you're jeopardizing your baby's life. And when people say that, you know, you just kind of like, yeah, it's when you're in that moment, you know, it's like, what can you really do? And so, yeah. Um, there was also no doulas on, on, on the floor, which was horrible. (laughs) I had no, no backup. And so, uh, they wheeled me into the operating room and I don't know, like if you, if this is like a graphic warning or anything, but they wheeled me into the operating room. No one had communicated, that I had a failed epidural. So they just put me on the table and started cutting. Oh my God. Um, and so I was, you know, screaming, I can feel everything. And then they put, um, they put an oxygen, they told me, they put a mask over my face and said, this is just oxygen. This is just oxygen breathe. And then that was, I was out. And so nobody actually told me that I was being put under. Um, and yeah, and it was really nuts. And because I had that, that false diagnosis as well, um, they had to uh, put intravenous antibiotics uh, into my son, mm-hmm. and so then they they tried to keep him in the NICU, um, and they didn't want me to see him for two days. And I was like, you know, culture is blood. There's no infection, and they did, and there was no infection. Um, but they were like, you know, we still have to keep him here because the hospital policy. So I eventually just um, I was able to advocate enough to actually get him to come with me, you know, on. To, to be with me and not have to be in the NICU. Right. Um, 
after just a couple hours, but it's really funny because, um, because it, it, uh, I just could, it, when it was all happening, you know, and I had one of those experiences when, when you're put under anesthesia where you're kind of like above your body a little bit. And I don't really remember like a lot of the, um, exactly what, what had happened, but, um, I remember thinking, I don't know if it was like when I was under or right when I, right when I came out, I was in this super, you know, drug haze. But I remember thinking the, the thought that came to my mind was like, I can't even believe this is, this is what my birth story is going to be, you know? Mm. Um, because especially, you know, the thing that I learned about, um, kind of the natural healing world too, is sometimes we can, we can think that there's only one way to birth our babies and that there's, there's the best way and the right way. Right. And, and I was, I subscribed to that. I was like, you know, everyone should have, everyone that can should have an unmedicated vaginal birth and that's the way to do it. And if you don't do it that way, you're jeopardizing, you know, the, the health of your child and their self. And it's just so funny that, you know, I just got like slapped with a big fat reality because, um, that, you know, I had everything. They gave me, you know, nitrous oxide. They gave me morphine. They get, you know, I had two epidurals and I was under general anesthesia. I mean, it's just like, I couldn't have, you know, I was completely absent. Nobody, nobody saw him get born. My husband wasn't allowed in the room. So it was like, it was just nuts. And, and, um, he had, you know, his first skin to skin was with my husband. He said he, they saw him, he saw them wheeling him down, um, the hallway and my husband said he ripped his shirt off and grabbed him and put him on his chest and they were like whoa 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 you can't do that you can't do that and he was like you can't tell me you know he was very he was really pissed hmm. um and so he was in the NICU with him uh doing skin to skin until I came out of the recovery room wow or the operating room yeah yeah that's so crazy I mean there's so many things that come to mind and so many questions I want to ask you, but I guess where I want to start is, you know, thinking back to the fears and the disconnection that you experienced while you were pregnant, you know, you're seeing this perinatologist and you're fighting over everything and, you know, they're basically telling you, you should just schedule your C-section and then you end up having this experience, which you've already, you know, touched on a little bit, like how, how much of a departure that was from, you know, from what you planned and what you thought was ideal, not just as a birthing woman, but as someone who, you know, really believes in the natural order of things and really believes in, mm-hmm. in, in not just doing it because like, I'm, you know, I need to prove something to the world, but really believing that there are benefits to this. There are, mm-hmm. you know, there are actual benefits and that's what I, I, I want those benefits. So, so how did you reconcile this experience that you had? What, what has that journey been like for you? It was incredibly difficult. The The biggest hurdle for me was the mental, emotional, just crush that happens after something like that. For I think for anyone, not even someone that kind of has this idea of what birth should – or what I thought my birth was going to look like and what was important to me, um, but also – luckily, you know, thankfully we actually had an incredibly easy, um, postpartum period in that, you know, I healed up very well. Cause I had my husband and I joked about it. I had like a half and half birth because he was like almost out of the birth canal. So I had, mm-hmm. you know, like vaginal trauma and then I was, you know, C-section by, by residence. So it was like a total hack job, but I actually, um, 
I actually healed up pretty well from my my uh, surgery as well. And then also breastfeeding was incredibly easy for us, mm. um, was which was a huge concern, yeah. right? Especially after something like that. But um, I remember the first, I would say like the first four to five months postpartum, literally crying every single day about it. Like I could not, I couldn't, I had to process those feelings and it took me that long. And it wasn't that, you know, I was suffering from postpartum depression or, you know, it literally, that's how long it took my body to kind of move that energy and, and heal that space. Mm -hmm. And now I feel really good about it. Like I, I can talk about it without crying. I can talk about it from kind of like a wiser, higher consciousness perspective. Whereas, you know, the first six months that was just not the case at all. Mm. Um, but I, but I essentially used all of the tools that I had in my toolbox to, to kind of crawl out of that space and support myself and support my baby and support my husband and support my mother because they were all there and they all suffered, you know, their own their own trauma in, in their own way from that. And, um, mm-hmm. and it just took a lot of time and I allowed myself that time. I didn't kind of, I didn't put myself in this, in this place of pressure to be like, I should be over it already. Or, you know, why am I still crying about this? It was, it was extreme. It was, it was the most traumatic experience of my life. So well, traumatic is, is the right word. And it's, you know, it feels like the word of the hour. I mean, we've been talking about this so much on the show with women. And I think that, so many people feel really disconnected from their trauma. They don't know mm-hmm. how to to acknowledge it or allow it. And I think that, mm-hmm. you know, there's so much there's so much language and and kind of like m- pressure in our world to to sort of think from the perspective of you know, healthy baby, healthy mama, and, you know, just be grateful that you're alive and be grateful that, you know, that things didn't go much, you know, much worse and that you, you know, that you had, you know, a hospital that was able, you know, even though it's it's just so, Mm -hmm. um, it's so debilitating and disconnecting when we're actually processing and healing from trauma. And I love that you, that you gave yourself that space because, that's rarely what we hear. We we most often hear that people felt like they really had to move on and they felt like they had to to disconnect from from those you know feel th- those painful feelings that come from that kind of trauma and you know one thing that I've been really exploring in the work that I do because I work with women who have experienced loss and you know I've also experienced I've experienced loss and I've also experienced a, you know a difficult and traumatic um, live birth that took me years. I mean, I'm still, I'm still processing that birth. It was nine years ago, you know, and it's a really, really interesting thing to, to think about what trauma really looks like in our lives. And, and, you know, there's, there's this theory about trauma just being an unfinished cycle. It's just something that it's a process Mm -hmm. that didn't get to complete. And I think that that's so common with cesarean birth, even with all the emphasis we have nowadays on, you know, gentle family centered cesareans. And, you know, we've, we've heard so many stories of women having really beautiful, empowering cesarean births. And, and we're, I mean, I'm all about that. I think that that is, it's, so yes. important to to include the entire spectrum of birth experiences like you were talking about there's no there's no right way to give birth and yet on this biological level 
a cesarean birth is an incomplete cycle. Our body knows, our body stores that information and Mm -hmm. it knows that something didn't go how it was supposed to go. And no matter how positive we think about it, no matter how, you know, how much we, you know, try to reframe the situation or, um, you know, kind of move on from that experience, our body is storing that trauma and it's, it's so significant. It's so significant. And there was, there was really two things that helped me a lot in the really early stages. The first was, um, I thought that as soon as I got home from the hospital, I was going to have a rebirth. Um, but I actually wasn't ready. And so I think around, I think he was about three, mm, actually it was right after his umbilical cord fell off. So I would say he was probably about like three, four weeks old. Um, we had a rebirth in the bathtub and it was just this really quiet, warm ceremony Mm -hmm. that we went through. And then, you know, after we got out of the tub, we moved to the bed and we just slept together, just wrapped up. You know, I was naked. He was naked. He was, you know, we were wrapped together in a towel in the bed and just rested. Mm -hmm. And that was really the first time where it felt, um, you know, I was still carrying so much, but it just was a little bit of like a bright light. Mm -hmm. The second thing that really helped me was changing um, the wording around. And I love that you brought up, you know, when people say, but you have a healthy baby, that, that was like the thing everyone said to me, it was like, but you have a healthy baby and you're okay and you didn't die and and he didn't die. Mm -hmm. And something that really helped me, especially just with the wording was switching out the word but for and. So it was instead of you had a really traumatic birth, but you have a really healthy baby. It was you had a really traumatic birth and you have a really healthy baby in it. Just that simple switch made me feel like those two things could actually coexist and that they didn't contradict each other because it was like well if your birth was super traumatic then like one of you would have died right Right. and it was it kind of it was it just allowed them to to live together because both both were true Mm -hmm. you you know one one then by saying and instead of but one didn't take away from the other like you know that it wasn't possible to have a super healthy baby because I had this traumatic birth or because I had this traumatic birth you know it was just it was really really interesting how that one word literally would change the way that my body sat with that information. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I've, I've actually passed that down to a lot of, um, to women as well. And they've, they've found that equally as helpful just since it just literally changing, but for, and <laughs> well, it's just, it's the power of language and, and, you know, that's mm-hmm. the most subtle form that you can imagine. It seems like, well, gosh, how, what, what difference could, uh, you know, an, and instead of a, but make, but really what you're doing is you are, you're actually retraining your brain that it can it can store and process this information differently than it currently is. And we recently had someone on the show who who also had very similarly to you um, a failed epidural and went in for an emergency C-section and you know was feeling everything and they put her under general anesthesia you know just in in a few seconds and she didn't even know it was happening. And, you know, mm-hmm. she described her feelings about that very similarly to you. And, and I loved how she put, you know, when, when people would say to her, like, just, just be grateful that you have a healthy baby. And she would say, like, I don't have to choose between these feelings. Like we, exactly. we know that emotions are complicated. Like I can be grateful and I can be so sad, you know? Absolutely. Yes. And that, that has been, that's my experience looking back on it as well, because now I feel, you know, time, time has definitely helped me heal for sure, but I can look back at it now and feel, um, 
I still feel incredibly angry, incredibly sad, but also uh, wiser and and more empowered. And I feel like I can come from this place where I'm just even communicating with patients. I just I feel like I understand the spectrum better, and it completely changed the way that I thought about uh, birth and and what is because I was just like you know this this is like I said before that this is this is the way to do it, yeah. and and I really felt that, and I feel like a lot of people. Um, at least for me, I, I would say, you know, yeah, I think all birth is birth, but kind of like on a, on a deeper level, I'd be like, but no, but really vaginal birth is really the only way to go, you know? And, and then after going through that, it's like, I actually genuinely authentically feel that all births are created equal and one birth may be traumatic and one birth may be, um, you know, delightful, but trauma is in the eye of the beholder. And I, and I really learned this lesson from a girlfriend of mine who actually did have an unassisted childbirth at home. Um, it was her first child and from literally from start to finish, it was 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. And, um, from the, from my perspective, I was like, holy crap. That's like, you literally won the jackpot there. And for her, her birth was incredibly traumatic and it was so hard for me to wrap my head around that. Right. And so it's just so interesting how, you know, it, or, or someone could have had the birth that I had and been, been totally fine, like literally on a soul level, been totally fine with it because you know, that it just, that's how it was for them. And so it's just so, you know, that's a really important take home as well is just to remember that really trauma is in the eye of the beholder. And even if you have this kind of quote unquote, perfect birth, it can still totally wreck you. (laughs) Yeah. And there's no use in comparing trauma. You know, I think, I think it's, it, it really disables us from connection. And I think that when you experience any kind of pain or any kind of trauma, um, the it, it's not always the result, but the results of that can be empathy. And empathy always leads to connection. And I think that when we when mm-hmm. we view trauma as, you know, sort of this black or white thing where it's like, well, this kind of experience would be considered traumatic and this kind of experience wouldn't be then we mm-hmm. we we completely disable ourselves from connecting and from all of the important and beautiful things that happen there. And this is what Lara's work is around is really um she's actually getting her doctorate in uh, nurse midwifery right now and her doctoral project Amazing. is studying trauma and how you know actual like how P- PTSD shows up for for women in birth experiences and how common that is and how there's nothing that says like, okay, well, you only have PTSD if like these five factors <laughs> showed up in your birth. You know, people's people's experiences of of stress and trauma are are so they're as varied as you know as as humans are in general. And I think it's it's mm-hmm. so important to acknowledge that and to make space for that in our communities. And in and and you know, for for people like you and people like me, we do very different work, but we work with women. We hold space for women. We we show up in those spaces for women, and so it becomes even more important to to not only um, make that space in those conversations, but model that for the larger community. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So you mentioned that your postpartum period was actually surprisingly good and, and you described kind of your physical recovery. How, what was your relationship like with your son and how did how did those initial months set the foundation for for what your experience of, of parenting and mothering has been? Yeah, so actually um, 
again with the the kind of like in the eye of the beholder i i think that my postpartum period was good but most people would probably think that it was total chaos i um i was born or, or i'm sorry i gave birth to um a spirited child <laughs> and so i don't know if if y'all are familiar with that or or your your listeners are but essentially they're just extremely strong-willed children that are are usually um they they require more more of everything and so he actually cried pretty much constantly um literally like nonstop the first six weeks I thought something was uh you know I, in my naturopathic mind and kind of more intuitive mind I thought that he was just pers- you know um processing his birth trauma yeah. as well and I still think that um so it was it was actually pretty easy for me to to be with him in that space where he was crying so much because I was crying as as well, just in a different mm-hmm. way. Um, but that, but that continued um, up until I would say about he was eighteen months old when things actually started to shift. But um, but it was it was hard, you know. I was I was by myself. I I graduated naturopathic medical school and then I actually took the the next year off um, to be home with him. And my husband was in a, a residency, and so he was practically never home and it was just me and the baby and and it was funny because um one of the other like huge transformational shifts for me in motherhood was before I had a baby I was pretty um like introverted and kind of uh I just liked to be you know I had like a couple of of friends and I thought that you know when I was raising my kid you know it'd just be like me and my kid and you know I'd have my friends or whatever I had no idea how important community was basically is what I'm trying yeah. to get at Um, and so it wasn't until later that I actually started reaching out to people. And a lot of that actually had to do with the fact that my son cried constantly. And so I was like, I actually can't go anywhere. Like I can't go to story time at the library because he's going to cry the whole time. Um, and so, you know, I, I tried to figure out everything, everything. I really on a, on a deep level really felt like he was just processing all of that Mm -hmm. trauma. Um, and it just took him, it, it just took him that long. He needed that much space. And also to kind of a huge thing with him as well was he wouldn't let anyone hold him except for me. Like, even if dad held him, he would scream bloody murder. And I think a lot of that had to do with being taken away from me and, and, you know, with all of these strange people. And so I feel like he had a hard time trusting others. Now that's not the case at all. (laughs) Um, but, uh, so that was really, that was really hard, but I, luckily had the privilege of, of being able to stay, stay home with him and kind of work through that together and, and just be there for him. And there was times where it certainly was incredibly trying, but I ultimately kind of understood in like the greater sense as to, or tried to understand, I, I don't, you know, actually know what he was going through, but I had an idea, you know, my, my mother's intuition told me. And so it was a little bit easier to support him through that. And also I had tools, right. I had, I had, um, homeopathy, which was probably the most pivotal thing for us, um, prescribing an accurate homeopathic remedy for him. And also just the, just supporting him through that, um, getting craniosacral therapy and doing compressions on him. So he had that kind of, you know, uh, because the contractions that the baby experiences, the pressure on their body from the vaginal contractions and going through the birth canal is incredibly important too for their like yeah. development and sensory motor skills, and things like that. So we had, we had tools and resources for kind of helping him. And, um, uh, we had to kind of help his immune system, especially in the beginning, because he had this really crazy rash, which we believe was erythema, um, toxicum. Mm-hmm. 
which they don't know what it is. They don't know why. Um, but I believe that it had to do with him, you know, being born via C-section and having intravenous antibiotics for two, (laughs) for two days. So, um, we did a lot of, um, uh, inoculation. Like I did, uh, vaginal seeding with him at home and, um, you know, probiotics on, on, I take, uh, powdered probiotics and would put them on my nipples before he would latch. And also just like tons of skin to skin Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, not washing his body and things like that to kind of recuperate. Now he has a killer immune system, (laughs) which so it paid off. Like (laughs) is so similar to mine with my first son. I mean, I, I honestly Mm -hmm. like haven't heard you deviate from it yet. It's just yeah, like yeah. so incredibly – well, the, the only difference was he didn't end up being born via C-section, but, you know, pretty much everything else was the same, including, mm-hmm. you know, including the heavy-duty antibiotics afterwards and, you know, basically mm-hmm. what when people – you know, people talk about colic. And I, I remember at the time, like, you know, it was the doctors and friends and everyone said, oh, it's colic. It'll disappear at, you know – will disappear in a few weeks mm-hmm. or, you know, and then it was first, it was, it'll get better around six weeks and it'll get better around three months. It'll get better around six months. It'll get better around, you know, and it was just those time, those markers always came and went and it, and nothing changed. And, yep. you know, it was, it was it, now, I now I laugh about it. I'm describing it this way, but you know, I had a colicky two-year-old. <laughs> it's, um, yeah. But yeah, you know, we, we did so many of the same, same measures to support him. And I think when you have you know, with the spirited component usually comes a sensitive component and, and those can be, Mm -hmm. can be a really overwhelming and really disheartening combo. And it's, it takes a lot of intention to, to really sync up with, with your child when, when it feels like it's, it, it feels like nothing you're doing, it makes a difference, you know, or at least the difference is so minute that it's, is it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I remember thinking to myself, um, especially in the, in the early weeks where I was like, is this nor- do is this how much babies cry? Because like, how do people, how are we even still alive as a species? Because like, this is so incredibly hard. How it just like, I was like, I I could never have another child, you know, because it was just so difficult. But the things that, that really helped, especially as he got a little bit older um, and was starting to kind of understand what I was saying to him was practicing emotional intelligence with him being like, you know, I, I think that what you're feeling right now is frustration. And a lot of, a lot of, um, commonalities with spirited children too, is they usually are incredibly advanced Mm. and sometimes can feel like trapped in their bodies. So my son actually started walking like legit, legit fully walking at seven months. And, um, and once he was able to do that, you know, he was able to like start to get things for himself. and, And once that kind of communication line expanded, then it was, you know, I think, are you feeling angry right now? Are you feeling frustrated right now? And I think that helped him a lot too, because it was, he felt like he was being understood and listened to, and also, you know, working through all of his own stuff. And just, it was just, it's just, I mean, it's, it's still, we're still doing it now, but it's, I can see how even in the moment, it seemed like nothing was making a difference that it's actually paid off so much now. Yeah. And he's two and a half. And it's just, you know, it's, you're like, wow, this actually worked, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I feel the same way about my son. It, you know, felt for at least, at least a couple of years, like we were just always behind the eight ball. You know, he was always getting sick. He was, you know, just very, very unhappy. And, 
And it's so funny that now, now I see absolutely what you're describing, that all of the ways that we supported him emotionally, physically, you know, all of that, that it has paid huge dividends. And he is such a, such a connected and, and just very, it's still very spirited, but so relational Mm -hmm. and so um, capable and so healthy. I mean, he has the immune system of a, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy. The rest of us will just be on our deathbeds and he's just, he hasn't <laughs> even. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think especially with these super, super special kiddos that it's just, they have all of this electricity and energy. And when it's just placed into a a conduit it's it's amazing what can happen and mm. and uh just you know fostering their strengths and 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 really not trying to change them that was huge that was huge for us and actually by having a spirited child I actually realized that both my husband and my father are spirited mm. <laughs> and so it's like oh great you know and it's funny because the three of them are actually all very similar and um and learning from from both my husband and my father of like what it, not, none of us had known what a spirited child was. We only, you know, figured it out after researching, you know, what's going on with our kid. Um, but their experience of being spirited children that grew up to be spirited adults and how, you know, they were always kind of told that they were bad or did things wrong and just not, not fostered essentially, not shown that what they, that what they had was, were actually gifts. Yeah. Were gifts so, worth cultivating gifts totally worth cultivating and and once they're just given you know the space and and actually supported like wow you are so incredible like you are you know to have that range of emotion is you know because as much as um you know spirited kids can be really intense and and can be angry they they feel that depth of love and and joy as well and so kind of helping them find that that middle ground or, or not even find that middle ground but just be able to experience that range of emotions so so deeply and profoundly and then use it in, in a positive way and, yeah. and that strong will. I mean, it's, I, I just, I'm, I like, I admire those qualities so much. Whereas, you know, I feel like if I didn't have that education to know that that's what was actually going on and just suppressed mm-hmm. it in him, it could have been really bad. Yeah. 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 I hear you. I think, I mean, that I think is a, a big part of my story is that, you know, in, I, I do feel like even, even despite the ways that we supported him. I definitely feel like I, I did suppress and try to suppress him in those early years. And while we've experienced, I mean, we've experienced so much healing and so much connection, um, in the subsequent years. And yet I know that there, you know, that there's, there's still a gap there, you know, there's still, um, there's more healing that needs to happen because, because of that, that season Mm -hmm. of, of not supporting him in that, in, in those deep ways that, that really give our children the confidence to just be who they are, which is, which is so powerful. And, you know, I, I now have a, a year and a half old and it's, it's, um, very interesting to, to orient myself towards her in such a different way. And I know that I do that because of what I learned, what I've learned in parenting my older son. You know, I don't know that Mm -hmm. I would, I don't know that I would have some of the abilities that I do if not for those experiences, you know? Absolutely. It's it's the learning the hard way that we all wish we could. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
So, so your son is two and a half now and you went back to work when he was about a year old. What has Mm -hmm. your evolving practice looked like? What has, what has motherhood looked like over the last year and a half? How have you kind of commingled these worlds that both mean so much to you? Yeah. So the, the beauty of working for yourself is that you can ultimately set your own schedule. So it was really important to me that going back to work was done slowly and, and kind of with integrity with myself and with him and, and staying, you know, trying to stay as, as honest as possible as to like what felt right and what didn't. Mm. And so in the beginning, um, it was really slow. Like I was just seeing a couple of patients I wasn't taking on anymore. I was, I was doing house calls because I didn't even want to have the responsibility of having to run an office. Mm. Um, and, and yeah, we just took things really slow. It was, it was hard. Um, because when I was with my patients, I wanted to be home with my baby. And when I was home with my baby, I wanted to be with my patients. (laughs) (laughs) And so, um, but then as he got older and, and I, uh, we were, we were able to have, you know, longer times apart, um, I eventually got an office and then um, had to figure out, you know, what those hours would look like and how I would, I would still be able to be present from him as work got, you know, busier and busier. And so now kind of what our schedule looks like is I split childcare between myself and my husband. We stack our schedules so that, you know, someone can be home with him at, at all times. And um, I don't come into the office until 10 a.m. because in the morning, um, mornings are really important to us and our family. We, we, uh, all wake up and then we go out into the the garden and collect, we have a medicinal garden that we grow and I use, um, some of the herbs there for some of the products that I make and also for my patients. And, uh, so we go out there every morning and we, you know, collect the herbs and we put our feet on the ground without shoes on. And it's, you know, our mornings are really slow and intentionally because it's, you know, our, our like family time essentially. Yeah. Um, and then I leave for work and then I come home, uh, usually some time around, four to uh, six. It just depends on how many patients I have that day. And then again, you know, same thing or out in the garden, come in, cook dinner together, sit, you know, having those, um, those times on either end of the day make me feel like I'm not totally missing a whole lot and also, um, help keep the, I mean, there's no such thing as work-life balance, but it, it helps keep things in perspective for me. Like, it's totally a rhythm and it, and it's kind of, you know, everybody in the family knows what to expect. Like mm-hmm. Wolfie knows that that's kind of like our jam. And then, um, Friday, Saturdays and Sundays, I'm just, I'm home with him. I leave my computer at work. Like there's just no, like you, you cannot contact me. There's no yeah. way to get in touch with me. It's like, <laughs> I had to, I have to do that. Yeah. That's um, so smart. because yeah, it's, it's, I just, that's for me, that's what I have to do because if I have my computer there, I will check work emails. Um, so I just like have to force that boundary upon myself and it's always fine. It's never a big deal. So, well, we're so hyper connected um, these days that if you don't draw really hard and sometimes like physical boundaries with, with you know, things that are at our fingertips, then we just, we, we, we aren't intentional. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, uh, when, I don't remember how many months old he was when, when he first started doing this. Um, but it was, I think it was like when I first got my office and things were really things, there was just a lot on my plate. He kept, um, you know, even as like a little, a little guy, I mean, he was like a year and a half, maybe he would, he would literally take my phone out of my hands and throw it across the room. <laughs> and I was like, Whoa. Okay. And it wasn't, it wasn't just like, 
baby toddler stuff it was like legitimately I could tell that he was like why are you looking at that thing and not at me yeah um you know and that's also the really cool thing about spirited children is they're just so wise they're so wise beyond their years and you can just see right into their eyes like exactly what's going on so um mm-hmm. that's when it was that was a it was a huge lesson for me in, in being like you know I could I could squeeze in you know, three or four more patients and cut back my hours with, you know, our slow mornings and our slow evenings and, you know, make more money and X, Y, and Z. But like, is that really what I value? Is that really what's important to me? Well, no. And so we, we make a compromise and we kind of, um, you know, sacrifice in other ways so that we can really be present with him as a family as well. Yeah, it's really powerful when you find a rhythm that works for your family and and it's it looks so different for everyone. For some people that means absolutely they're home full time and for some people that means, you know, uh, that they work full time and and every possible thing in between, but when you find a rhythm that works for your family, it is so so worthwhile to learn how to maintain it and to and to create those really really strong boundaries around it. Yeah. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about the work that you do. I know you don't just see patients in your office in San Diego. You also have, like you said, motherhood medicine. And I know that that is evolving into some really cool stuff these days. Um, when I when we started chatting again recently about recording this episode, you had shared something on Instagram that just got me so excited because the way you were talking around intention and and kind of your your connection to your intuition was just really really resonated with the journey that I'm on right now as specifically as a mother, but also in, in the work that I'm doing with women. And so I'd love for you to share kind of where, where you're at with that and how that relates to, to the women that are listening to this show. Absolutely. So the past, um, I would say the past month of, of my life, I feel like I'm going through like a second transformation, like the transformation that comes after you go through birth and postpartum. And, you know, I'm two and a half years postpartum now. So, but I feel like I'm going through this, this additional ring of fire and and really um, kind of, I feel like almost pregnant with, with another part of like another, I don't even know how to articulate. It's this really weird feeling that's going on right now. Mm -hmm. But, um, in my practice, I see, you know, I have a private practice here where I see patients in person. I also see, uh, patients, uh, long distance, you know, around, around the country, around the world, um, via phone and, uh, and Skype. And, um, I kept noticing, not noticing, I kept feeling and and seeing myself talk about a lot of the same things over and over and Mm -hmm. over and over again in my practice. And a lot of it had to do with people just not having, um, the education and tools around some really basic things that I just consider basic human rights. Like you should know how to eat and how to sleep and without the influence of marketing, um, and like, you know, one of the things that I kept, you know, coming, cause most, most people that come and see me are already kind of hip to it. You know, yeah. like they're, they're usually kind of more naturally minded. Um, but there was just this, these, these foundations of health that were really lacking in a lot of people because we're just, we just, we lost that over time. You know, we would get, you know, our information from our elders and from our community and we just, we've just lost that so much. And so, um, this kind of idea kept 
growing bigger and bigger and stronger and stronger. And, and one of the things that really finalized it for me was, um, just being with my son and seeing how I wasn't even directly teaching him anything. It was just by living together and, and kind of going through our daily routine that he was starting to make these choices for himself because he was, he was get provided with that education and tools. And I, a lot of this has to do with, you know, nutrition, like him. One of the stories that I tell was we were at a friend's house for Easter doing an Easter egg hunt and all the kids were opening the eggs that they had found. And, and there was, you know, candy and peeps and all those things. And we're not like super strict with him. We, you know, we want him to, be, you know, be a kid and whatever, but he didn't, he was like, what are these radioactive blue things? I don't even want, <laughs> he was like giving them to the other kids. And he was like going over to the vegetable platter and like super stoked to like eat the veggies. And, and he was like, you know, picking flour. And so people were just like, you know, whoa, this is so, you know, do you teach him that? And it, no, it was just by, you know, what he was, it was just exposure yeah. and education. So yeah, the most powerful I, um, form of education is modeling. Yeah, it was just modeling. And so I was like, you know, we've, we've lost that so much because a lot of our, so much of our health and wellness um, information comes from Google and, you know, and, and a lot of them are from bloggers or social media influencers that unfortunately a lot of times have some kind of ulterior motive behind it, whether they're getting like, paid or, you know, it's a lot of it is, is just, um, influenced through marketing and where we've lost a lot of our fundamental foundations of health of just being a human, like what to eat, how to sleep, mm-hmm. how to move, like just the, the basic, basic stuff, um, that, are, that goes deeper than like what you would be able to access on a regular basis. So it, it kind of, um, really, uh, planted the seed for this project that I'm working on right now. That's called the land and spirit project. Um, where it's basically just going to be a tangible resource for people that are interested in a more intentional, wise, and natural way of living. And a lot of it is, you know, it's going to be a quarterly thing where a lot of it is based in seasonal living, seasonal for those that live in, um, in North America. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it, essentially what is, is just, it's providing people with education and tools and, and, you know, there's going to be, I'm going to be releasing information on it soon where you can actually understand what the hell I'm trying to articulate here. But, um, but, uh, I, the biggest thing that I, I wanted to do in my practice and, and the reason why I became a doctor is because I want to, you know, the thing with being a doctor is like so many people come to you and they're like, I want you to fix this condition. Mm -hmm. But it's never me that's doing the fixing. It's always the patient. And a lot of times it's just, there's just this lack of, of education and these tools that aren't provided to be able to understand what's going on in your body, what's going on in your environment. And we've just lost, you know, amidst the blur of modern life, we've just lost the intuitive cues that guide us. We just don't even know. How do I even know if my digestion's off? How do I even know? what I should really be eating. How do right. I know if my sleep, you know, my sleep is compromised. What do I even do to, to fix my sleep, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and those are, to me, those are just like basic things that we all should, should know. Yeah. And so this, this project really is about putting um, the tools back in the hands of, of the individual and not so much, you know, the, the secrets kept by doctors, right. you know? So, and really believing um, that that intuition is innate and that everyone possesses it. And like you said, even though we're not really used to recognizing it, you know, we don't really, we're not very familiar with these cues anymore because of all of these, you know, cultural and media influences over the last several decades. 
at the same time, mm-hmm. it is still incredibly innate. And it's just a matter of, of accessing that, of awakening it and of, of practicing, of learning like, okay, well, actually like I'm bloated and that is a cue that my body's giving me that my digestion is not awesome, you know? Whereas before you may just dismiss that or attribute it to something else or say it's always been that way or whatever. Absolutely. And I think, you know, we like to make it so much more complicated than it needs to be or that we'd like to, you know, if I take this one thing, then this will fix this. And and it's, it actually can be so incredibly simple and you don't need stuff to do it. And I think that's really foreign for people as well. You know, like someone that's reading this project might be like, well, this is so, it, it can sound so basic how like, how, how easy it is to integrate it all. Mm-hmm. But it's it just really it's what essentially what it's doing is it's it's putting the power back into the people and just and knowing that you actually hold all of the tools that you need, you know, but you know, if you're if you're living with a chronic condition, yeah, you might need to go see a, a doctor and you should go see a doctor and, and, and have support and team care. But there's still you have to go back to these foundations of health. And that's really what I've seen do the most healing or be the most effective medicine was just the education and, and really shifting the consciousness around health and healing. And the most sustainable. That's really the, absolutely the most sustainable. And also, um, yeah, just putting, just putting the power back into, into your own hands, because I feel a lot of times to, to receive healing, we go outward, we find, we seek a healer or we go out to find someone that can then send us back inside of ourselves. And, and um, that's great. And that's the path that a lot of people travel. And that's, that's an excellent path. But we have to remember that like any healing that actually happens within you is because you are doing it to yourself. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a, it's a gentle reminder and, a, and an invitation to kind of bring your health and the health. And, and another huge part of this is bringing your health and the health of the future generations mm-hmm. back into our hands. Yes. Because what we do, what we model, literally will model for all of the generations that come after us. And that's also, you know, one of the incredible gifts of being a woman is you are literally a gatekeeper to the future. And so how I show up for my son, not forcing anything on him at all, just modeling, he will, that will be his normal, right? And so then he'll go out and find his normal, which will definitely be influenced by what my normal was. And then for his family and the family that comes after that. And I think a lot about the future generations and I always have as even as a child. And so that that's really informing this project as well as how can we, how can we make this knowledge something that is literally timeless that can be utilized for, for at least the next seven generations, you know? That's so powerful. But just believing that that matters, believing that we can impact future generations, that little, little decisions that seem so subtle or so, unimportant are actually incredibly, incredibly important. And just like the, the ability or the, the power that that gives us is, I think that what, I think that that is the ultimate intuition awakener. You know, it really, mm-hmm. it really reconnects us to, cause if you, if you don't think that something matters, like if you don't think it matters that 
you like if you don't if you don't care what your health is like in your 50s or 60s or 80s or whatever you know it i mean i had i had a a chiropractor you know um i i used to do um like martial arts and i had a chiropractor tell me one day and and you know whether this is true or not is is beside the point but she basically said like if you want to be in a wheelchair in your 50s like go ahead and keep doing muay thai and it was this mm-hmm. It was an external moment, you know, that wasn't necessarily generated by my own inner voice, but it was this moment where I realized like, oh, this matters and and it matters mm-hmm. for the future. And and what you're talking about our children and future generations is is so important. We we tend to just think like, oh, there's there's too much. I I can't I can't make an impact, you know? And yes, absolutely. We can. Yeah, I mean you're you're literally you're setting, you're setting kind of the framework up for all of the generations that come after you and, and the decisions that you make will impact those future generations. And it's kind of like, um, you know, this, the, the, it's not only a saying, but the, the fact that, you know, you are in your grandmother's womb that, you know, the, the, when your grandmother is pregnant with your mother, your mother contains the egg that you are. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what your grandmother, how your grandmother's health and lifestyle was impacts actually how your health and lifestyle will be. And also, um, I was really fascinated by the work of a doctor in the 1930s. His name was, uh, Dr. Weston A. Price. (laughs) And yeah. And so all of his work, you know, was actually the undertone of all that was also, you know, how our impact our our health and our practices impact the future generations, Mm -hmm. because what he was observing with the change in, in, uh, the, the facial bones and the, and the teeth, of um, developing children yeah. where, yeah. you know, yeah, you know, it was, it's, it was so fascinating to me and, and, and it was just kind of all of these influences and, and this project definitely wouldn't have even, um, been as important to me or as informed until I became a mother because it just, sh- you mean, you just, you're, for me, <laughs> the way that I thought about my life and my actions were were so influenced by the fact that I was taking care of someone else and that I was responsible for someone else and, and, um, and how fond I was of the idea of him going on one day to possibly have children and, and, and all of, you know, that I would one day become an ancestor, you know, like, I think that's just so (laughs) incredible. And that I want, I want to be that ancestor that, you know, my descendants look upon and say, Hey, you know, she was here and she cared and, and she did something about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's really I'm I've never quite heard that phrase, but so I'm I will be an ancestor someday. Yeah. <laughs> really, that's really beautiful. Yeah. And and just even how disconnected we are from that, from like honoring our traditions and our ancestry and and the history of our of our people is very it's very sobering to think about and Absolutely. and to sort of re ignite that is, is also a really powerful thing to model. So, yeah. Wow. Well, land and spirit project. So by the time this episode airs, you are going to be, um, releasing other information about that. So we'll include in the show notes, um, information for you guys to be able to check out what Marlena is doing and, um, and be involved when she releases that. It sounds like it's going to actually be ready in the fall. Is that right? Yeah. So there's going to be, um, like a formal, uh, announcement of it is coming, uh, mid July, 
Um, but the first, because it's going to be a seasonal thing, it's going to be released every quarter. Um, okay. and it, you're, you're, it's going to be a membership platform. And so you have access to the information for the entire season. So it's not just kind of like this one and done kind of thing, but, um, yeah. the, the first ability to actually be an active member will be in the fall, but you can sign up there. There's going to be a wait list generated. And so, uh, signups will begin in July, but the first, you know, big release will be in the fall. Okay. Well, we will share links to that in our show notes um, so that anybody that's interested in, in in accessing these kind of resources to really enable this um, reorientation to, like Marlena is saying, just some of the basics of of how we really, really take care of ourselves and take care of our families and our world. I think that it's going to be so powerful and I'm so excited about it. Thank um, you. If, as we're wrapping up, is there anything that you have experienced in your motherhood journey that really feels like something, if you could sit any new or young mother down and say, like, this is, this has been the heart of my experience, what would that thing be? Mm. So it's going to sound super cliche, but, but just surrendering to the flow, knowing that you know, there's going to be at some point in your journey through motherhood, there's going to be this, this moment where things are not going to go as you planned, That it's just, mm-hmm. it's, it's almost uh, inevitable, but to understand and really know that every woman that has come before you has gone through this and every woman that will come after you will also go through this and that this, you innately in your body literally have access to all of the tools to help support you through the journey at all times. And so no matter what your socioeconomic status looks like, no matter what, just your whole environment and lifestyle, no matter what you have access to, you, no matter what, you always have those tools inside of you. And there's Mm -hmm. going to be this roller coaster ride that is motherhood. And it's going to make you grow and shift in ways that you never thought possible push you so outside of your comfort zone but that to something that was very humbling for me and and kind of helped support me through this whole thing was again that idea that like I'm not the first person to do this I'm not the last person to do this there are other people that have had extremely similar experiences to me I'm not alone in my experience which especially having such a uniquely traumatic birth I thought that no one else had that and slowly but surely more and more people I'm finding had very similar birth experiences. I, I mean, I didn't even think that absent birth was like a thing. I thought I was the only one. Um, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, I would say kind of that, that whole, that whole idea that, you know, this, this is just all part of the human experience and kind of zooming out on it, I guess is essentially what I'm trying to say. Zooming out yeah. can be zooming incredibly, out. incredibly just very strong medicine for the mother yeah. or the new mother. Yeah. I love that. So we'll put it again, like I said, in the show notes, but where can people find you? Yes. Yeah, so, uh, uh, you can find me on Instagram. My, my handle is at motherhood medicine. Um, my website is motherhoodmedicine.com. It's all really easy to remember. And then, um, the, the land and spirit project is going to be also on my website, but also has its separate URL, which is going to be the land and spirit project.org. Okay. Awesome. Well, we'll make sure people can find you and we're so grateful that you've shared your story with us today. I think there's just so many 
incredible nuggets in here for women, whether they've experienced traumatic birth, whether they are interested in, you know, natural, you know, alternative. I always put, I always use air quotes when I say alternative because it's- Uh, Me too. I know. Well, it was an alternative until like- (laughs) Yeah, this is the original way. (laughs) Totally same. But but since people talk about it that way, that, you know, alternative- (laughs) Uh, perspective on, you know, on, on wellness, on health, on motherhood, on nutrition, all of these things. Um, I'm just so grateful for you, for you sharing your story. I think it will be so impactful to women. Thank Um, you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for coming on the show. And you can also um, find us online at motherbirth.co. If you want to hear more stories like this uh, with women who are absolutely doing the work and showing up to the experiences of motherhood and, and bravely sharing their stories. You can subscribe to this show so you don't miss any episodes. Um, also follow us on Instagram at motherbirth.co and on our website, you'll see the most recent stuff that we're doing, which one of the things that I think is really relevant in this conversation is, um, the upcoming groups that Lara is going to be doing around processing birth trauma through storytelling. So if you go to our website, you'll be able to see information on, on that upcoming group, as well as the other courses that we do for women who've experienced pregnancy loss or trauma. So um, thank you guys so much for listening today. Thanks for listening to Mother Birth. And a special thanks to our editors, sponsors, and guests for this week's show. As always, this show is created by Lauren Melissa and is intended as general information that does not constitute or substitute medical advice of any kind. You should always consult with your primary care provider with respect to your medical care if you are pregnant, planning on becoming pregnant, or in the postpartum period. In this episode, we may use affiliate links to products and services that we know and trust. These are products we have personal experience with and believe that they will benefit our community. When you use these links, Mother Birth receives a small commission. What you pay for the product or service doesn't change at all. It's the same price. If we share something that includes a discount code, we may still receive an affiliate commission without affecting the discount offer to you. Thank you for supporting our show.